ready to bring the heat. Oh, uh, yeah? Yep. All right. What'd you crack open? A seltzer. Flavored seltzer. You sound disappointed Which I am disappointed because a, a couple months ago, when I was like, I need to finally start exercising and doing all that and blah, 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 blah. So, which means I got to stop drinking soda, mm-hmm. right? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to finally, I'm going to figure this seltzer thing out, oh. right? Everybody loves it. I don't need to be drinking soda. It's bad for you. Even the stuff that's like zero whatever mm-hmm. is, is super bad for you. It's making your internal organs grow ears. Yeah, it can't be good for you, right? Yeah. Because it's like, there's just no way. So I'm like, I'm going to figure this seltzer thing out. And for the past couple months, I have tried every seltzer it's gross, right? under the sun and it's gross it's i can't gross. do it so now i have to give up on this i've got a few left in the refrigerator i'm going to drink those just so they don't go to waste and after that it's just water mm-hmm. and tea and that's it that that's the sad thing is like you you realize to get truly healthy really does mean cutting out some good tasting things out of your life yeah you know, soda is really bad for you. Yeah. And when I went through a phase of not drinking soda when I was really sick, I felt like, oh, yeah, I can see the difference. I feel right. the difference. And guess what I had tonight for dinner? <laughs> a mini Coke, a mini right. Coca-Cola. Uh, you know, because it, it, you realize, like, no one's going to come around and, and tell you a good job when you're drinking only water, not not a mini Coke every right. every week. Yeah. The other thing, this may seem like an obvious complaint, but seltzer water really tastes watered down. And I know they're supposed to be mm-hmm. water, but to me, it tastes like there's not enough flavor to make this mean anything. Yeah. In the seltzers that I've tasted. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I think it depends because it's like, I think this kind that I, is this kind is the kind that has um, actual juice in it. Mm-hmm. Has a little bit of actual juice, so that's where the flavor comes from. But this, like you said, very watered down. Exactly. You're 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 drinking like like shaken up juice, basically. <laughs> I imagine like the how it's made. It's like we put the juice into a rag, and then we wring the rag out yeah. over you know a whole batch of this stuff, and that's that's the juice you get. Yeah. And then you've got the other brand, which is Polar, which is supposed to be the the kind that's like super carbonated, but it just tastes like you're drinking. It tastes more like chemicals than like regular soda soda does. Yes. you know what I mean. So yeah. it's like yeah, it just it makes you can't you believe win. that it is some kind of like broad psychosis from people who are like, oh, I I love it. Like, yeah, I don't I, get it. It's and gross. the other thing is like a lot of seltzer lovers are like adamant, like they're hyper excited about it. Yeah. Nothing to get that excited over. No, absolutely not. I'm with you. I had a, an idea this week. Okay. Wanted to maybe get your uh, input on. I have a quick revision before we get anything. Uh-oh. Very quick revision to my favorite games list that I'm embarrassed that I forgot this, right? Taking Gears of War off my list. Yep. Should not have been in there. Okay. And in its place, I'm rolling in. You, you're very excited. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot about that. He's making a new game. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I have no I just saw the headline today, I think. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's great. Those 
those are like, I don't remember. I feel like I remember more from my teenagers than I do from like my twenties. But those early twenties, yeah, uh, Katamari Damacy. I remember like just a weird time of life. Yeah, you showing me that game and me being pretty obsessed. Yeah, and I mean, I think even more so than Super Mario World, where it's like the epitome of a video game. Katamari Damacy is the epitome of a video game. It can't be made in any other medium. It's mm-hmm. it is a pure video game, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense as anything else. That's absolutely um, true. And it, and it has that broad appeal. You don't have to be a gamer to pick up a controller and be like, oh, I get this on a very deep level. Yeah. Yeah. It's just super fun. So I wanted to make sure to correct myself. I, on the other hand, have been in a few near catastrophic car accidents. Uh-huh. And I was thinking I should start a nonprofit devoted to helping people drive better okay i know what you're thinking how do you accomplish such a huge goal like that Mm -hmm. how can one nonprofit um mabel's rubbing up against me like a cat (laughs) (laughs) now she's barking at ace who's just laying there right yeah she's jealous she um, wants Ace to get further away from you. Mm. Yeah. What's funny about Mabel is when Ace isn't near you at all, she doesn't really pay much attention. Sometimes mm-hmm. I call her over. But if Ace is within five feet of me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she's like, as soon as you give Ace any attention, she is barreling towards you to break it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So this nonprofit. Very, very clear uh, objective. Uh-huh. We are going to better everyone's driving by putting those little crosses on in the lawn portions all over the place. Oh, you mean like the oh, you mean like the crosses is like someone died here? Yes. Okay. Just increase placement of those. Uh-huh. And listen. Someone has died sure, everywhere. Sure, of course. So you just put those everywhere, and I think we'd see some improvement on the roads. Okay. What do you think? Would you donate? Nope. You wouldn't donate? Donate? What am I donating? Money? Yeah. Nope. So, so my nope. nonprofit can place more commemorative crosses. Like who? So no, everyone can drive better. Smell my fart. That's what I think about your nonprofit. That seems a little harsh, <laughs> but we have a lot to talk about today. Yeah, <clears throat> figured uh, wanted to do a quick run through of a few different items. Okay, did you want to start somewhere? Um, I don't think. No, I don't have anything. But you know what we're going to talk about, right? Right. We have... We can start with... Nope. Oh, sorry. I wasn't ready. I was looking at my notes. Yeah. Nope. We can. You want to start with nope? We can start with nope. We can do mind Do you want to start with nope? Yep. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, well, I guess we haven't talked about Mind Over Murder since the okay. last time. It's over now. I was going to say I didn't watch the last episode. Oh, 
you are not interested in the last one because you think it's all the community players. Well, for me, everything that I was interested in knowing was wrapped up in the last episode, in the fifth episode. The first half of the fifth episode or sixth episode, Uh I highly recommend to you. It starts with her forcing the detective to watch the documentary. Oh, okay. And he seems like game, like I'll do it. Mm -hmm. It gets to the part where um, the main guys released who end up getting crushed Mm -hmm. at work Mm -hmm. and killed. Joe. Joe. He gets to the part where Joe's mom is talking and remembering him. Mm -hmm. Remember that? And like he pulls out his phone and just actively starts scrolling. <laughs> the the Bert? Yeah. <laughs> just actively Burdette. <laughs> and the director, she goes, uh, I can stop this. And he's like, no, 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 keep it going. And she's like, no, 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 I can I can stop it. He's like, no, no, no. Keep it going. Uh-huh. And she's like, I'm stopping it. Yeah. I'm you're going to watch this. You know? Yeah. And it's a real interesting moment of just like Again, it's 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 the classic Hamlet thing, right? Where the play will reveal the truth. Yeah, you know. So, well, how, I wonder how they do that though, because obviously he's not sitting there watching five hours of a documentary while being filmed. No, I, I think that Is it, I think that was her finishing a cut of the documentary and then showing it to him. The whole thing. He's in the same space he's being interviewed in the whole show, right? I mean, in this one, he's on a couch. Seems oh, like okay. He's at, okay. Uh, all right. That makes sense then. And she's like, okay, are you, are you ready? You know, he has this little like yeah, popcorn yeah. or whatever. He's like, yep, let's, let's I was it. picturing him in the same sort of, I can't remember if he's in his right. flower no, no, shop or whatever. Inter- yeah, yeah, no. Okay. And, and it's interesting, again, because we, we talked about just the feeling of this documentary. How it feels different than some of the more traditional stuff. And I think I think it's... It's evident in scenes like that mm-hmm. where she clearly was like, hey, I'm not trying to hide anything here. Like, yeah. I will show you the entire thing, you know? And I think in watching him watch the documentary, again, she's so smart. It tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. You don't, if you just watch the, doc- the documentary, you're like, ah, well, maybe, I don't know. You watch him watch the documentary and you see him completely flip his empathy switch like fully off Mm -hmm. to this old woman just remembering her son which is very moving just Mm -hmm. in and of itself and you see him not even give her you know the Mm -hmm. the, the respect to hear her out Mm -hmm. you know um really smart really really smart and there's a lot of good material and then the second half is about the play is the play it's the whole play. Not not the whole play, uh-huh. but you know, it and it talks about the families who are gonna go and the different people involved who are showing up mm-hmm. and then just the little bit that you know of the players of the play, it just makes it unbearable for me. Yeah. It just in for terms sure. of cringe, it's like Nathan Fielder has nothing right. on a community theater Ooh. production. Of a true crime story of the magnitude that that one is. Right, know? exactly. Yeah, I I figure I because the way they set up the last episode or the way they set up the next 
the way they set up episode six at the end of episode five made me think episode six is just going to be mm-hmm. focusing on the play. It's not. Watch okay. watch the first well, We will then. But one thing I did have an issue with that <clears throat> we've talked about before, and again, I still can't figure out like if I if this if this should bother me or if I'm just being like a curmudgeon or whatever, but the way episode four ended, episode four ends with the final woman um, who it, it ends with her being like, it ends in a way that leads you to believe that she still firmly believes everyone was there and they committed the murder. Mm-hmm. Right. Then when you watch episode five, it's revealed that she goes through all this therapy and blah, 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 blah. And that small part that you see at the end of episode four is tucked in between like, and that's why I used to believe this. You know what I mean? Um, And that just really bothers me because it's like, it's so misleading and it just is, I understand how it like, how it's serving the narrative and the storytelling and all that. But it just seems so cheap. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I can see your point. I, it, it doesn't bother me yeah. like that. Okay. So he's already come up once. Do we want to move straight into the rehearsal? Sure, the rehearsal, yeah. Um, so talk about, you know, properties that you have moral problems with. Do you want to touch on Nathan Fielder? And did it come up in the rehearsal where you tend to be more on the line of, uh, it makes me uncomfortable the way Nathan Fielder, you know, kind of interacts with the quote unquote real people. In his yeah. Shows, right? Yeah. I've, I definitely got that feeling more so from um, Nathan, Nathan for, you. for you. That show for sure definitely feels like it's just making fun of the people he's trying to help, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think there are definitely shades of that in how to with John Wilson, which is produced by Fielder. Mm-hmm. And then I haven't seen it so much in the rehearsal. I don't feel like, but just because that's what I expect out of Nathan Fielder, I'm just kind of mm-hmm. waiting for it, and it's just kind of like biased me against him in general. And I, we were talking. I sent an article earlier today. You said you already read it about. So the second episode features just the Robin, Robin, most pitch perfect foil, weirdest <laughs> character you could put in one of these reality shows, right? And it definitely sort of goes to that point of like, this has to be edited to make this guy just look like the biggest idiot in the world. Do you know what I mean? And reading the article, that's how I started out reading the article. Like, okay, let me get this side guy side of the story. See, you know, uh, see how he's perceiving his portrayal and all that, blah, blah, blah. But by the end of the article, I was like, you know what? I think they kind of nailed it seems pretty accurate. <laughs> this guy's just kind of an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Robin doesn't seem like he has as much dimension to hide right. who he is. He, yeah. He really did crash his Scion TC. Yeah. And I think hour. the thing, too, that bothers me about 
his Nathan Fielder's character so much is that it's just so one note. You know, it's very funny, but at the same time, his note is just to not react and to kind of just let people talk themselves into saying something really stupid mm-hmm. and then not reacting to that and letting them say even more stupid stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, can be humor in that for sure, but it's, I don't know, it just doesn't do it for me for a 30 minute show. I mean, he called into the best show, the 24 hour best show. And oh, I miss that. that was his, that would, to me was probably the best version of version it? of him. And I could, because I couldn't tell if he was doing a character. Right. And they, they, he tries to end the call with, um, you know, him and Sharpling are just going back and forth. And then Tom's like, all right, Nathan, uh, or, you know, I'll talk to you later. I, I love you, right? And literally, as soon as he says, I love you, Fielder goes, I'm sorry, well, my phone what my phone was breaking up. <laughs> and you can hear Sharpling take a beat because he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know if he actually didn't hear him. So he's like, no, I just said I love you. <laughs> and he goes, I'm sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm driving right now. My phone... <laughs> But he seemed really genuine. He's like, no, 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 I'm not joking. I'm, I'm seriously, I didn't hear you. I'm not, but you just can't tell, you know what I mean? That's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I, that was the best. But in the show, you can very clearly tell he's just playing this deadpan character. Yeah, he's, like, trending on Twitter. And I think it's funny because the people I follow are pretty much taking the the perspective of, what do I think of the rehearsal? Nice try. You're not going to get me that easily, you know, yeah. approach. It's just like, I'm not even, uh, this is too stupid to talk about because it's, you know, either you get it or you don't. And even if you don't get it, it's not worth getting in, you know, worked up about. Um, and then but I read somebody else who mentioned like they were taking it. Uh, they were, their take was, you know, how little we're able to process like criticism, like true criticism of something Mm -hmm. that criticism always now implies this cancellation aspect to it. I didn't like this thing. Sure. Yeah. Ergo, it shouldn't be on. Yeah. I'm offended, whatever else. And they've lost the fact of like criticism as like shaping something, you know, as, as articulating the, the thing that it is discussing more clearly so having a criticism doesn't necessarily just need to be equals i hate it but criticism is here's another way to think about it and again good criticism can create dialogue you know um and how like nathan fielder is dancing on a line that actually should encourage criticism Mm -hmm. conversation like yeah, deeper conversation, not the type of response that goes, ah, this is awful, terrible, get it out of here, it shouldn't be produced, you know? Yeah. So I, I find that interesting. And, you know, part of it too is like not really, and I, I've, I feel like I've tried to engage in it, but it's hard to find that type of criticism out there. Mm-hmm. And part of me wants like, show me what you like, prove that thought like 
point me to your blog. Like I, I agree in theory. Now, now show me in practice. Yeah. And it's hard to find, to find that because in the end you just end up finding, like I found a, you know, somebody who I follow, who I like, and they have their own like blog thing. What's it called? Substack. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I'll check out their Substack, And like the first thing I see is, um, I want pancakes. Exactly. About Barry. I want pancakes okay. about Barry. Mm-hmm. And to the point of just being like, yeah, this is somebody just griping and I'm not getting the sense of any engagement, like shape. They're not shaping this story any clearer. They're just complaining. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I will say about the show, <clears throat> about the, about actually watching the show is the, if, if the second episode was just like a repeat of the first episode, I would be done. Mm-hmm. But because the second episode seems to be leaning the, into like a, a series, uh, yeah, like a larger picture and not just, uh, you know, here's the self can every episode is just going to be a self-contained story about this one person, and what they're trying to get over. That does make me want to watch more of it. The, the things that always get me, you know, as I, what was that? Mabel. <laughs> she bite herself or something? I don't know. She went on a bone. Come here. Um, what happened? So, what was I going to say? Mabel, you threw me off. Oh, the, the little inconsistencies always stand out to me. Mm. And it makes me second guess, like, what the larger narrative and purpose is of the of Nathan Fielder's stuff like the rehearsal like episode one he's like hey do you remember those people who came in to test yourself for like a gas leak or something like that yeah and the main guy's like yeah I remember that he's like well those were those are our people and it cuts to a scene of them knocking on his door and be like hey we're here for a gas leak but the camera crew is with them and I'm like how did they explain away a camera crew following them around. Them, right. You know, because the camera crew then follows them testing all yeah. the air and the main guy's just standing there. Yeah. And I was like, so is that, does that mean that this is like a recreation or again, does he know more than what, what Nathan Fielder is alluding mm-hmm. in this one? I always like anytime one of the parents, the real parents of the babies is included. I'm like, that's not a real person. Like, I don't know. Like something yeah. about how could you agree to do this? How as could a you agree to yeah. do this? And also like it starts, it, it starts with them putting a lie, like carrying a live baby through a window <laughs> on top of a ladder and then swapping it out for another live baby. And swapping <laughs> out for another live baby. And I'm like, as a parent watching them, like <laughs> pass my baby through an open window on top of like a ladder. I don't know. I'd be like, no, we're not doing this three hour every three hours. Right. Yeah. You know, and then there's <clears> stuff <throat> like the things that Nathan Fielder's like it has to be exact. And then during the adoption, the the real mom is obviously acting right. She's like she's going to be in a better home. Mm-hmm. I'm giving him to you. And then he interrupts. He's like, "Is this exactly how it goes?" And the adoption worker's like, "No, not really. It doesn't we don't really." Pass them off like this. Yeah. It's like, okay, so you're not really about creating verisimilitude, right? You are creating a a fictional, you know, 
in environment, even yeah. as you're. So those inconsistencies are always the things that I get hung up on. And again, maybe the whole point is to just have you ask those deeper questions rather than there being, aha, at the end, another reveal be like, like I was joking too. I was like, episode two, it almost feels like everyone's an actor except Robin. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, like that would make sense to me. Like at the end, it's revealed like, oh no, we're all acting. The only people who are real are like the the little people who pass in and out yeah. of episodes because it's too weird for them. Mm-hmm. Right? They get wrapped up in something that they don't fully understand and realize, oh no, this is this is all too much. Yeah. Makes me feel like uh Joe Schmo show situation. That is Exactly what I was going to say, and it ties also ties into White Dialogues, the second story in White Dialogues, which we'll talk about a little bit later if we have time. But yes, the, the, I thought the exact same thing with Joe Schmo, and this idea that comes up in White Dialogues of like, this is something that's like a little cruel that you're able to find humor in when you're in your 20s. But the older you get, the less funny it gets and right. the more sort of empathetic and you become to the situation. Right. And so to me, it kind of feels like a more like um, high-level Joe Schmo show. And I tried to show Julia the Joe Schmo show a couple months ago, maybe, because man, when we were in college, that was the nothing peak. Better. There was nothing, nothing better than better. Joe Schmo show, the most hilarious thing in the world. And then going back to it years later, it first of all, it's just not as funny as you remember it being. Um, but there's also this aspect of like, this is kind of mean to this. This is this is like really messed up that you're doing this to this guy. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas, and it's like I remember laughing about that in college, right? But now it's like I, for some reason, I can't find it that funny. <laughs> oh man, I love to do a rewatch of that. That's that's funny. I I bet I I too would find it. You know, like I I feel like I'd pull out my pipe and cross my legs a little more. On the rewatch, I'm like, oh, you see Part of here. the problem, too, is that the very first episode, and I have a feeling that this is was like a Spike TV thing, because that's mm-hmm. what it was on. The very first episode is the episode where the contest is to, like, put your hand on the stripper. And so there's just a ton of nudity. It's all blurred out, I believe. I can't even remember if it is on, like, the DVD version. But it's, like, it's just all about that. It's all just all... Like middle school horny boy exactly. stuff. It's and it's super horny. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, but at the end, I do remember him breaking down when you know one of the actors gets <laughs> right. and is truly having yes. a moment. You yeah, know? and there's a lot of confessionals where it's like the crew are like, "I don't think we can do this to this guy." Exactly, <laughs> and then they just push ahead because they're making a TV show. That's one of those lost artifacts with like all the freaking podcasts that are created following all the obscure stuff. Like where's the Joe Schmo show breakdown? Recap. Yeah. Yeah. Go back and unearth that, you know, uh, show and and go through that. Yeah. And that was Kristen Wiig's first thing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh man. Dang it. I need to rewatch that. 
I wonder if can you still buy that on DVD? Feels like it's one of those things know. that looking at be like four hundred dollars for the DVD yeah. of Joe Schmo show. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then they did like a second one that wasn't mm-hmm. good at all. I think I remember. The cr- the two man, we just watched something. We were just talking about something. Joe Schmo show creators. Your screen just pops up dead. No, they did something that we were just talking about, and then I kept digging through their stuff, and I was like, oh, my gosh, they created Joe Schmo Show? I'm not going to be able to find the it The Trolls now. movies. They got me looking. Um, <clears throat> oh, Spiderhead. The people who wrote the Netflix adaptation of the George, what's his name? Saunders. Saunders short story, the Spiderhead Netflix movie, the two writers of that were the creators of the Joe Schmo show. Crazy. Hilarious. Yeah, that's also a movie that I still haven't seen. I I was interested in your take on that movie because... I don't think it's out yet, is it? Oh, it's out. It's on Netflix. Is it? Yeah. You're the one who got me into George Saunders. Right. I kept hearing about him. Then we were going to talk about him on the podcast, and I read the 10th of December. Mm -hmm. I read that, and then I read one other collection of short stories, Mm -hmm. and they're fantastic. Yeah, they're amazing. But definitely doesn't seem like it's... Who's it? Chris Hemsworth? Yes, is the, is plays the, the lead scientist. Yes, <laughs> right. Of, and it definitely doesn't seem to fit what the trailer shows. Yeah, and so I'm very interested because that that short story is not actually. It's more just like yeah, weirdly mm-hmm. like poignant and kind of sad. Right. Yeah. They're just kind of doing experiments on these people. Um. All right. So you already mentioned it. White dialogues. Yeah. Um, so I recommended this book to you. Um, before I came over, I went out to go read. Um, and I also wanted to touch on this new book that came today. Okay. Um, so anyway, the book I recommended to you is White Dialogues by Bennett Sims. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I looked at like underrated books of like the 2000s um and out of those lists i kind of looked through for for things that i thought interested me and the bennett sims white dialogues book really interested me and then this collection of short stories called amsterdam stories Mm -hmm. by now this is the latin n-e-s-c-i-o i I can't remember if latin (laughs) goes hard hard vowels and mm-hmm. consonants or soft. So I don't know if it's Nessio or like Neskio. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you're, a pseudonym. Yeah, you're asking the worst person in the world for that. And it translates as I don't yeah. know. That's what the name translates as? I don't, I don't know. know. Okay. In Latin. Because it's a pseudonym. And so I read the introduction and it's just like he wrote a lot about 
um, like the demands of life and obligations and work and, and all these things and wrote a, apparently very poetically about it. And then I saw this quote. I want to read it to you. All right. Because this is what I got myself <laughs> myself into. And I don't know if I'm in the right headspace to, to read uh, Nessio <laughs> right now. Now, are you done with white dialogues already? I am on the last story. Oh, okay. I Damn. breezed. Like, I yeah. devoured white uh-huh. dialogues. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. So I'll get this out of the way. Because this is a downer. Okay. We'll start on a downer. So again, he writes about obligations, you know, work, adulthood, all of that. Mm-hmm. I sit on the hill and look down into the valley of obligations. It is barren. There is no water. There are no flowers or trees in the valley. A lot of people are milling around, most of them drooping and misshapen and constantly looking down at the ground. Some of them look up every once in a while, and then they scream. (laughs) (laughs) And then they scream. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like a good one. (laughs) I was like, underrated. I'm excited to, to hear what he's all about. And this is like one of the first times he's been um, translated. He's Dutch, uh, okay. translated into English. And uh, man, I was like, I'm excited. And then I read that and I was like, whoa. <laughs> Woof. Yeah. Well, it's short. So there's that at least. It is short. It's so interesting because in the introduction, it kind of talks about like he was uh, alive and writing like the 1910s, 1920s. Okay. And how he like, he wrote as a hobby. And Mm -hmm. it's just amazing that a man who wrote so little has such a prolific, you know, reputation. Yeah. Like that anyone knows him a hundred years later. Right. So I am very, very interested, but I'm also, yeah, very, um, see, it seems very stark. Yeah. I mean, mean, yeah, they look up and scream. (laughs) (laughs) oh god so anyway white dialogues yeah so the 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 first thing that drew me to is like the cover i think the cover's really um interesting Mm -hmm. and then it doesn't look like it but then i looked a little deeper and it's kind of recognized as horror yeah that's what i was gonna say that's how you pitched it to me but the second story is about like a this american life uh, a fake this American fake life. Fake this American life about a bookcase. <laughs> but then the one following that is like, I guess it's kind of along those same lines of the thing you just read, where it's like, um, it's only a couple pages long, but it's just, you know, kind of like urban mythy stuff almost. Eck phrases. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, yeah. So you've read three? Yeah, that's as far as I've got. So what, what do you think? What's your, what's your take on the first three <clears throat> stories? I th- I thought they're they're great so far. I mean, we talked about this the second one, which I thought was really interesting. Just kind of, it's just basically a story about that premise of like kind of rethinking these things that you found hilarious in your twenties or whatever. As you get older, adding more context to them, and and also kind of because he's kind of played up this story 
the blind spots you have to yourself, right? right? The, the the quiet editing that you do when thinking about yourself and thinking about your your life, yeah. And you just how easy it is to snip out any of the parts that are like make you look bad or questionable. Yeah, it also does a really great This American Life impression. It really does. The intro and the outro is absolutely perfect. It's so perfect that after I got done reading, I was like, all right, let me go look up this episode number because I have to see if this is a true story or not. And, of course, it's not. And and then in the middle, or when he starts telling his story to Ira Glass, it gets into, like, a little, like... uh, I don't know what you would call it, like slap sticky area almost with like what Iris starts doing, but I think it works and it's super funny. It it definitely, <clears throat> like it's not even a parody. It's just a representation of this American life, of the audience of this American life. Yeah. Of the types of stories that this American life would be interested in. And it does it in such a phenomenal way that when you get to that part where Ira Glass starts doing something that, you know, he he wouldn't do, I dare say. Yeah. It fits with that parody of the idea of what he's going for. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is also the another point of the of the story is like the audience that would engage and look for these stories that are quietly reassuring of themselves and you know, what they what they want to accomplish in the world and how they don't want to hurt anybody and whatever else, but really how that can be an avoidance, right? That, Mm -hmm. you know, you could listen to this American life endlessly and it doesn't make you a good person who's like changing the world. Right. Right. In some ways it can just reinforce those bad habits that you might have of, of thinking of yourself in a, in a better light than, than you act. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the bookcase. So, that, that was called the bookcase. The first... Yeah, and then the first one is a more... House-sitting. Traditional um, horror story. Written in the... Second person. Second person. Which is, is really interesting because there's... I don't... You know, obviously, a lot of people don't write in the second person perspective. There's one other story, short story, I know I've read that was in... Uh, second person perspective and I I want to say it was even similar to this but it's been so long I can't remember what it is um, but the, the and I guess this is probably inherent with writing in second person and I'm not saying anything groundbreaking mm. but I think they're one of the reasons it works so well f- especially for like a scary story is that you're like being compelled to do stuff right that you don't want to do but you are doing it as you re- you know what i mean so it's like it's like a it has a weird like compulsion to it i guess like moving you forward um but yeah i thought it was really interesting especially when the story is about somebody who is being driven to a place of insanity potentially right. slowly losing your mind by by the implications <clears throat> of somebody else mm-hmm. right that they they are assuming sinister actions of someone else. So it's like two levels deep of you're, you're being compelled to do this, but you're also being compelled to think like this person of this other person's intentions. Right. So, and again, I think what I like is it's almost like a jokey premise that you kind of get obsessed with. 
and follow through to its logical conclusion. And I think about like when we were in college watching that horror movie called Baghead, which was that the, a Duplass brothers movie. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I don't think they directed it, but right. But they had something to do with yeah, it. Yeah. Well, they acted in it. I think they wrote it. Okay. But <clears throat> the, I remember when it was coming out, some people talking about, it and they were like, yeah, we were basically drunk in a, at a cabin. We were like, what if somebody just came up with a bag on their head? <laughs> right. Like, how <laughs> scary would that be? You yeah. Know? yeah. And then they made this horror movie called Baghead. And this story, too, seems like, again, I love those premises. And in this one, a person has agreed to watch, to house sit at a cabin. And they go into this cabin, and one of the things they notice is, like, every window has a dream catcher on it. Like any glass surface or glass window or uh, mi- no, the, the the mirror is the um, the spider web that they see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's covered in a in a dream catcher, and how that's like, oh yeah, that'd be kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Like, but then what if you got obsessed with? Well, no, what does that mean? Like, is is that a sign of something sinister? Or of this person having an unsound mind? Or is it really a protection, you know? Yeah. And then as you're trying to navigate that, so you're taking this potentially joke premise very seriously. Mm-hmm. And then what are the logical conclusions of that? Um, maybe without spoiling it, but I don't know, because we do spoil things here. What was your take on the bookcase? So the ending, he tells... He opens up and tells the truth because his assumption is they're going to edit this out. Right. Right. And But they keep it in. But they keep it in because right. of what because of Iris how, says at the very end. Right? right. Because that's how This American Life works. At the end, they always pull a line from one of the earlier stories yeah. and pretend the producer says it or something. Exactly. So, yeah, 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 that means that they put it in. I thought that was that was really clever. Yeah, like you totally. Said, he knows this American life. Right. Um, Eck phrases, again, I think it is a good exercise, mm-hmm. you know, nothing groundbreaking. Made me look up what Eck phrases means. Mm-hmm. Did you look up what Eck phrases means? I, to be honest with you, <laughs> you I did, saw you that it was a word that I didn't recognize and I just skipped it because it was the title. So I didn't even worry about it. <laughs> So you didn't even bother to be like. I honestly didn't even think it was a real word. <laughs> so it's, it's. It's a different spelling. Uh-huh. Basically, the use of detailed description of a work or visual art as a literary device. Okay. So it's like, yeah, what if you wrote this story that contained, like, death in it? Yeah. You know, or this picture mm-hmm. that contained death in it. The The next story is uh, entitled Two Guys Watching Cujo on Mute. Right. Definitely more of, like, the bookcase scenario. I ended up really liking it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is the crux story of like, whether you like this guy's writing or whether you'll fall off this guy's writing, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I, I really liked it. City of Wolfman is like a, um, uh, is it, is again, like X phrases, just another like writing prompt mm-hmm. idea. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for you to keep reading and, uh, definitely the, the, the next short story I think is the, okay. Is the crux. Um, before we get to Nope, I have a drop here that's been staring at me 
that and you I haven't found a good added place for recently. It I don't remember what it is, oh, so cool. I want to play it, but I'm a little afraid. But he's gay. No, that's from the, okay. That's from the thing you sent me. <laughs> it just says he's gay. I wasn't could not remember what it was. But he's gay. <laughs> I wish you would have kept the uh, the, then her quick panicked. I, I mean blind. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was like a local news reporter who yeah, was reporting about a man who summited Everest. <laughs> That's right. And her big it, but he's gay. I mean blind. <laughs> like he's gross. <laughs> gay and blind. That's a good one. Okay. Let me you let this hit dog in real the, quick. Yeah, you want to hit us with the real drop for this one? I'll hit you with an oldie but a goodie and see if you recognize it. Ready? Mm-hmm. How dare you! <laughs> I wanted the nope. Nope. And also, nope, I don't remember it. You don't recognize that guy? No. What How was dare it? you! That is the one and only... How dare you! Mark Driscoll. You know what? He came up again in my consciousness mm-hmm. that's so see it's stuff like that like we, we talked about before like did i say it on the podcast where i was literally thinking it's been so long since i've been in an accident or even in a near accident mm-hmm. and like as i was thinking that thought right i almost got into an accident this is another one like mark driscoll what a lunatic and somebody who when i was like in seminary and i'm like hey i'm gonna try figure all this out was put forward as like Hey, this guy means business or yeah. whatever. Who's then revealed to be, you know, a lunatic like a, half just these a people giant are. asshole, just a giant asshole yeah. lunatic. And um, somehow he came up again. He has this book, of course. I don't know what it's called, but it's against abortion. You know, and it's, oh right. So and again, it it just makes me feel like, how do people not identify the grift, right? Like I was yeah. thinking about, we, we talked about in the politics episode, right? Like I'm going to devote my life to things that I care about or like politics. And on, in this stream of politics, all I'm getting fed is CRT, mm-hmm. the, the borders being overrun. There's a massive wave of zombie immigrants headed our way, mm-hmm. you know, um, trans people are trying to you know ruin your children or whatever and it's just like at some point i think i'd just get exhausted hearing all that i think i'd just be like you know what this isn't this doesn't matter to my day-to-day life yeah i mean crt and all that stuff but these people can intake endless hours of it just endless 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 hours of that stuff i don't know how you can. And yeah, Driscoll is, is like on the grift where it's like, oh, abortion's overturned. Hey, I just happened to write this book, mm-hmm. you know, about abortion or whatever. Yeah, he, um, there's a podcast series called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill that I've been listening to. It's from a couple of years ago, but it just is tracking that whole, his whole Seattle arc and then getting, um, uh, he didn't get fired. He stepped down, I guess, and then moved to 
Arizona, where he's at now. Yeah, Yeah, the other thing, too, is when he was at the height of his powers, he was also releasing a bunch of books, and it was, like, widely known that he was, on many of them, just, like, had ghost writers, you know? Well, yeah, it gets into that. It gets into all the plagiarism stuff. It gets into um, how they've, like, kind of, like, cooked the books on that and how none of the, like, the the, um, figures for sales are real or anything like that, and... It's really interesting, uh, but it's super long. It's it's a big downfall. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good, downfall. and it's but it's also done by Christianity Today. Mm. It's done by like a a Christian like company, which I just wasn't expecting for whatever reason. But it totally makes sense. Um, but it ha- very much has that like Christian feel to it. Right. Um, where they're approaching it from, you know, that angle. But it is, it. I thought, I think it's worth listening to. Yeah, I mean, it's like, for, for me, one of the hardest things in talking about faith is like the, the people that you would need to step over to reject, you know, honestly, almost any belief system, mm-hmm. right? It's the same thing when people were talking about like Islam, especially after 9-11, Mm-hmm. and how quickly it's like, oh, they're they're terrorists. But then I remember, again, we've talked about this, My one of my greatest shames was voting Bush, you know, and even after the war on terror and being like, this is, this is what's good mm-hmm. or whatever. And I remember one of the things that finally starts shifting my ideas were like seeing people legitimately being like, hey, I'm – Muslim and I like, you know, I'm I'm a good person. Like, yeah, I'm just trying to I'm just live a my normal life. Normal person, like, well, normal, but you know what I mean. I'm just I'm you. I'm but you. I'm Muslim. Exa- exactly. <laughs> and then when it finally like broke through, I was like, holy shit! Like there are people who are just me, right? And yeah. Mimas, peepaws, whatever, <laughs> right. just trying to like get by, and they just there is they they they're Muslim, and in in this too for like. Christianity is the same thing where, you know, so easy to sit there and be like, oh, Driscoll or all the people who purport to be, you know, Christians or whatever. And then you realize like all the, you know, even like the early slaves who believed in Christianity and to sit there and be like, it's all a joke and it's all like ridiculous and get over it. I'm like, we kind of I can't get over the fact that I'm in some ways like discount, like <laughs> holding myself over other people, you yeah. know, just to like shit on Christianity where like, even if, even if my identity and my ideas have completely shifted and changed to sit there and be like one of those people who's like, and that's why all belief, so, like to be mm-hmm. Bill Maher or mm-hmm. Richard Dawkins, right? Ricky that's, Gervais. R- Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Like that's the stuff that I just can't get there. Cause I'm like, you, you are, you're you're not just shitting on the people that you think you are. You're shitting on like the Mimas and the Peepaws who like really are good people mm-hmm. or like even the historical people who are like, this is all I have. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd be like, yeah, you, you child. Right. <laughs> you illiterate child for <laughs> believing that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Let me, I think there's a quote in this book. Every once in a while they would look up Smell my fart. And they'd scream. (laughs) Uh, All right. All right. Nope. Nope. Yep. Nope. You're going to cut all that out, right? Nope.
Okay. Oh. Just oh. so you know, I was in a fugue state, and I don't remember what I said over okay. the last two minutes. Uh, all right, so we watched Nope. Um, Thursday night before opening night. Is oh, it technically opening night, pre-opening? The, we've, the very first showing in, ever in the world. In fake IMAX. <laughs> yeah. Uh, close as we could. In a theater with no AC, where they were closing down the other theaters because they had no AC. Um, yeah, we saw it Thursday night. It was a, like a, a real movie-going experience. 60% full theater? Yeah, there's a good amount of people there. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it. And Julia was with us. So, for me... Movies like this, when I found out there was aliens and kind of, you could almost say it's a creature feature. Mm -hmm. There are like two types of creature features that I like. Number one, I like tremors. The idea of tremors is what if there's a worm in the ground that wants to eat you? Mm -hmm. Like, that's it. There's no deeper idea. Mm -hmm. And all the action is driven by there's a worm in there Mm -hmm. and wants to eat you. So like one of the nail biting sequences is them pole vaulting from rock to rock and so at some point you have to see the worm yep yeah yeah you gotta see the worm and it's just a fun time from beginning to end yeah that's it Mm -hmm. executes it beautifully love tremors the second type of creature feature that i like is nope which opens after a brutal attack right by a chimp Mm mm-hmm and on the set of the 80s sitcom of an 80s sitcom and julia had to like step away for like a minute so she walks in yeah after the first after the gordy sequence Mm -hmm. she sits down and i just hear her go like so what happened and you lean over (laughs) and like four words you were done (laughs) and i was like i have to know what what he said and so i was like justin what what how'd you explain that to her (laughs) Do you remember what you said? I I don't. I think I probably said like a sitcom chimp killed everybody. <laughs> Something that was like roughly, that. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what a yes, what a perfect <laughs> sitcom chimp killed everyone. Yeah. And she also, I love the fact that she was fine with that. Like, yeah, she got okay. it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sitcom <laughs> chimp killed everyone. But going from a situation where like a sit, sitcom chimp kills everyone to like, oh no, this is about aliens mm-hmm. i love that too where yeah. this is about more than just there's a spaceship in the sky and you don't want to get killed by it where he's really like packing it full of other ideas and concepts mm-hmm. which quick side note um i didn't read like a lot of reviews but again i follow a bunch of film people on twitter and letterboxd and some of the early word out of this was like it's his most straightforward, just like blockbuster film. Mm-hmm. And it's like watching, I was like, straightforward. Like it is, it has these huge set pieces. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call this like, like again, Tremors is straightforward. Yeah. This is packed full of ideas, you know? Again, almost more ideas than can contain. So yeah, I too liked it. Sophia, put a couple things down, please, so you don't spill. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the I think the straightforwardness comes from 
um, get out having very obvious racial overtones, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's what the movie's about. Us um, probably having more... Did you rewatch that? We I did. I stand by my take. That movie sucks. Okay. Um, I, the, the, and I, the, this is what I realized that I don't like about us. <laughs> and we've also talked about this before. If it was a, sto- a book, I would like it. I would have loved it. The problem I have with it is the, um, the, the tunnel people and the way they act. They're basically saying like ooga booga, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're cave people. They're cavemen, basically. And it just is like, it's the type of thing where it's like, if it was in a book, it would be my imagination creating it. And it could be an exact description of what is happening in the movie. But because I'm picturing it, it works. But then when you have somebody else actually put it to to film and I have to watch their interpretation of it, it's like, oh, this is kind of goofy. This is like, I mean, Tim Heidecker's character spends a lot of the movie just going like, like that's it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's it's kind of goofy. Like written on the page, it's like the two girls cartwheel towards the children. Yeah, I mean, and you'd be like, ooh, and then you watch them cartwheel towards the children. Yeah, like, and it's like I I I'm totally down with this idea of like she's been living in a tunnel, so her voice is raspy. She doesn't have the best grasp of the English language anymore. Blah 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 blah. But then when you see it, just the way it's portrayed in the movie, I just it. I don't like it. I, didn't, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, the the f- the final sequence of the movie, too, where they're fighting in the tunnel, and it's like an orchestral version of I've Got Five, five on, on it, it, maybe, is mm-hmm. playing. And it felt very... Um, it felt very much designed... It almost felt designed for a trailer. It doesn't feel like a real sequence in a movie. It feels like a sequence that you would put into a trailer. Uh, it just had a weird feeling too. I don't know. I just think I, I didn't. I didn't like it. Yeah. But for for no, I think the straightforwardness comes from Nope. In in that, I mean, I think you could watch it and and not come away with any sort of sense of a deeper. Uh, meaning to the movie. Not know, to they, say that it's not people, there, yeah, but what would people take from the Gordy scenes. Then, I, I mean, well, that was actually one of the bigger bigger questions I had coming out of the movie was the purpose, not just the purpose of those scenes, but specifically the purpose of the shoe, because the shoe is standing up in a way mm-hmm. that no shoe could ever stand up, and it's focused on so much in the movie. That and and I believe at one point when it cuts back to the Gordy scene, it's like follows immediately one of the alien encounters in a way that made me think these two are linked somehow. The UFO thing and the shoe thing is linked somehow. But you never really get an explanation for it. I've read some stuff online. The problem was that we saw it when like one of the first screenings. So afterwards, no one had seen it yet. And so obviously nothing's written about it. Um, 
but I just haven't read anything that I found really um, satisfactory in terms of like explaining that. I mean, I read some stuff like that explains it thematically, which I get, but I don't know. I still kind of got the feeling that there's something else to it. Right. Yes. I mean, Julia's takeaway after we saw the movie, we were talking about it and her takeaway of the Gordy stuff was it's, it's there to basically show, um, to give, um, Steven Yun's character to explain like his motivation to like trying to, um, train and like contain animals because of this experience he had basically, which yeah. seems more or less correct. Yeah. I mean, I think th thematically it fits with, I think Daniel Kaluuya mm -hmm. or maybe another character says the term like a bad miracle. Right. It's like, yeah, here's an awful situation in the middle of it. A physics defying shoe standing up. Like, yeah. What's the meaning of a bad miracle? And it's like, yeah, that shit happens. Right. You know, and it's unexplainable. Um, doesn't mean it's <clears throat> it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that's kind of like, for me, that's the... I loved Steven Yoon's character in this. And to me, that that's part of his arc, right? Which is, what is the meaning of a bad miracle? And trying to, like, make meaning out of this situation. Which is why he has that, like, secret room with all mm. the artifacts from you know the show that he keeps and he's still like the only times that he is truly like aware and awake is when he's talking about that yeah event mm -hmm. because then later in the film there's a scene of him just standing there staring mm -hmm. he's just not moving just staring and he has to be like shaken out of his reverie back like, hey you need to go give your little speech in front of the crowd. And again, I feel like that's the, the thematically it's his story. You know, it kind of represents what he's dealing with, how to make sense out of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought he was fantastic. I don't get people who, like I told you, I saw some people, like saying he didn't matter to the story and he wasn't mm -hmm. in it enough. And I was like, I think he was kind of central mm -hmm. to the story in a really great way. I think he, I think he did a great job. Um, so you, so I'm trying to think how to ask what I, I, I don't know. I can't find a better question than this. What did you like about it? Looking back on it. Yeah, so <laughs> what I liked about it is the, uh, I think just the setting, you know what I mean? And the way it's shot and um, it's very bright, you know what I mean? For like a scary horror, I mean, it's not like a horror movie or whatever, but for that type of movie, it's, it's very bright. I, I just loved how it kind of nails the stuff it's trying to do, even if the stuff it's trying to do is not like anything unique, like the mm -hmm. way it handles the UFO is perfect. And like we're talking about with tremors, you have a big monster and you just want to see the monster. That's always a, th a thing with like monster movies. It's like, 
Uh, how are you going to see it when you do see it? Does it look dumb? You know what I mean? And it's just the way it's handled in this is, I feel like it's perfect. You know, um, when we went to see, uh, pause of fury that same weekend with <laughs> yeah. the girls, we were walking out and this family was walking out in front of us. And it's like this older woman. And she goes, I, I don't know. I just didn't get it. Like it, it was a UFO, but then it, Later, it was like a kite, I guess. <laughs> She's totally confused yeah. by it. Um, but I thought it was a, it's a, just like a great little twist on the idea um, that seems so simple, but at the same time, I would have never thought of that. You know what I mean? Exactly. And the way that they execute it is perfect. Like, it looks amazing, and it looks so cool. The, the other thing that I love that Jordan Peele does and definitely shows off in nope is he doesn't go back to visuals like he shows you this thing and mm -hmm. then it it's in your mind and he doesn't feel the need to go back like i like horror movies but something that i've noticed about modern horror there's this one movie i forget what it's called but the whole premise is like this ghost is is visible in like anti-shadow as an anti-shadow so it's mm -hmm. like when the lights are on yeah I, it, it plays with shadows right i don't know anyway you watch the trailer oh you know it, it to me it goes with the other movie that we sh saw the trailer for which is smile <laughs> right <laughs> that's yeah. exactly that's a better example so there's this older movie that does a trick with a shadow and I remember the trailer where like someone's flip flipping a light off and on. Yeah. And the ghost yeah, is getting yeah. closer and closer. Yeah. It's like it looks like a cool visual. But when you see it there and then you see it again and then it kills someone else and it does it again, you just you're like, okay, I got I get the visual mm -hmm. like gag. And same thing with smile, where it's like, oh, creepy smile. And it's like, okay, how many times <laughs> can you have someone just like Right. grinning maniacally and the yeah. trailer ends right with like a lady's head basically flipping yeah. well uh, now that you're also going into every scene expecting the same outcome right you're just waiting for somebody to smile smile right right <laughs> where it's like in nope the you slowly realize that the ufo is the alien and then you it's get the one shot of the lady in its basically intestine yeah yeah, and then it's just throughout the rest of the movie, it's just like a slow capitalization on that idea, right? You get the shot of the people being sucked up and digested, basically. Then you get the shot of... um, the So this, this alien, right, is eating everything and then <laughs> barfing it up at different points, and then it decides to go over the house and just turns it into a blood house basically exactly. <laughs> and it's great it's like just a great visual um it's a, a great idea yeah i i loved it i mean there i had a few little uh nitpicks here and there but i wouldn't let it you know those things get in the way of anything else really yeah it, like again for me i wanted another like show me show me someone go up and get digested again like yeah that and, and again, it plays, like you said, if I read us in a book, like, nope still allows you to use your imagination, you know? Mm -hmm. Because he shows you 
like I remember you see people get sucked up and then it like goes up there with them and then it's like all cramped and they're screaming and mm-hmm. then you can hear their screams from the alien as right it's like as it's flying around flying around <laughs> and flying away such a brilliant yeah. like I have just enough information to imagine what's happening to them without showing me exactly what's happening to them. And it's just the right amount of show. And he doesn't, exactly. he doesn't do it again. Right. You know? It, it, yeah. And I think that's another, that's another point is it's the, ex, it's the exact amount of like explanation you get. And it's such a great idea. Um, and it has also has that moment of where, uh, OJ realizes just don't look at it Mm -hmm. right which could sound like a stupid concept but it's like he figures it out and then he doesn't look at it and that's kind of the end of it there's not a lot of focus on it there's not him running around telling everybody don't look at it don't look at you know what I mean it's just one of those things like yeah we're just going to do it and it's going to be a little thing and you're going to move on because that's the movie if you are 90% of the time, if you're in nature with a wild animal, what's the first thing that you're going to decide not to do? Yeah. Make eye contact with it, right? right? So, yeah, for people who are like, how do you know? How do, I'm like, oh, yeah, you, you see a bear, you even see a shark. What are you, you're not <laughs> yeah. going to be like, let me stare right yeah. into this thing's eyes, right? Yeah. You're going to try and, like, look away and make yourself look small or whatever else. So, yeah, I mean... And that, again, goes to the broader premise of the whole finale, which, you know, it it changes form. Like that lady where she's like, mm-hmm. then what? It becomes a kite? It's like, right. no, then it gets irritated, right? Like, yeah, well, it gets wounded. They, yeah, they, they've provoked it and irritated it enough. Yeah. They, like, it is trying, it's, it's forced into this new form, this yeah. new, like, way of... Revealing stuff, and like you said, yeah, and it's wounded. Like, it's a delicate creature, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you don't need to sit there and be like, "All right, let me let me tell you why change form right now." You know, it's like, no, man. Yeah. Like, how would this work exactly? And blah blah blah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't need any of that. And Jordan Peele works on like theme and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and the thing. That I loved, and I told you, it was like, I love that the ending is it like popping. And what's the thing that set Gordy off? The balloons popping. Right, yeah. It's just such a, like, a nice, neat, mm-hmm. like, go along. Like, why would you fight that? You know yeah. what I mean? He found, like, an elegant way to kind of wrap everything up and tie it together. And like you said, are there nits and picks, you know, nitpicks, sure. And some of them... You know, I I think are just like, well, most of them I'd say are are his ambition. Mm-hmm. I'd rather him be ambitious in that way than, yeah, to just give me another Tremors esque alien story, which we've seen, right? Yeah, yeah. And the thing I wanted to mention about the Gordy stuff is like it he it, again it just I guess comes down to execution, but it's one of those things where it's like I think this is even like a running gag on. Um, the best show on some of the Sharpling and Worcester calls where they have a running gag of like X sitcom why this horrendous thing happens um, and the episode never airs or whatever. That's like the that's like a running gag in some of the Sharpling and Worcester calls 
And that's what this is, right? And it's hilarious to describe. And then when you see it, it's like apps. It's horrifying. actually horrifying. Yeah, it's horrendous to watch. And it's like in the best way possible. You know what I mean? That was um, one of the things that honestly made me most nervous about this movie. Mm-hmm. Watching the trailer, you see a scene where it looks like a children's fist is reaching mm-hmm. out to mm-hmm. another animal's fist. And it made me think that that was an alien. And I was oh, like, oh, yeah. Is this going to be how <laughs> aliens communicate? Like, it, it, like uh-huh. fist bumps or whatever? Yeah. I was like, oh, no, man. If he's trying to get like, sentimental or like oh i that i was like how how are you gonna work in a fist bump yeah you know when it's aliens and it's like oh it's not an alien it's a it's a chimp Mm -hmm. who's terrified who's just murdered (laughs) two people Mm -hmm. and it's just looking for some like connection now yeah it, it gave in to its you know primal nature now it is like coming back to itself Mm -hmm. and then it gets its head blown off. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just like, yeah. So, I mean, like in that, I would say that there were like at least three moments where I remember like spinning my head and looking at you and Julie and being like, Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Like the house scene, the Gordy gang shot Mm -hmm. scene. Like those are like all timer vision. It's just, it, it was just great. And yeah, like, you know, the we need to capture the shot which is clearly i think more about like filmmaking like the mm-hmm. sacrifices uh, yeah that that didn't maybe play as much for right me, yeah that was know? the other thing i told you is that i felt like this does the hollywood worship thing in a way that i can stomach it yeah you know it has elements of like you can tell there's like a reverence for hollywood and all that process and all that stuff blah, 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 but it doesn't like it doesn't get dragged down in it, you know? Yeah. Or it's not an entire movie about that, like the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or whatever. <laughs> that movie has grown in my estimation. Yeah, I liked it, but it's just one of those things where it's like, in theory, it bothers me. <laughs> and and uh, Us as well, I think, is a movie that I, I respect more and more. Mm-hmm. Time goes by. Anything else you want to say about Nope? Uh, do you want to rank it? Do you want to rank Jordan Peele's movies? Is he the next, uh, can you name a better, uh, three a, movie run than Jordan <laughs> Peele? <laughs> yeah. I saw that when somebody was like, no one has made like a better three run. Yeah. People were saying like John Carpenter. Right. And you know, there's, there's plenty of others, but, um, yeah. And, and again, Jordan Peele was the one who was like, Hey, put down your phone. Like, I, right. I <laughs> yeah. Cal- calm down. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so, I mean, Jordan Peele, I think I am definitely going to be interested in whatever he does. I by no means am like, he's Hollywood royalty and can do no wrong. I Mm -hmm. think he has the possibility of making a movie that I, like, actively hate, Mm -hmm. as is anybody. Um, So, yeah, he's, like, not on a pedestal or anything, but I will still say for me, Get Out, I think, for its more straightforward, well thought out, like connected, like all the circles connect mm-hmm. for me. Um, I would still put Get Out as probably my favorite. Us, I think, is his most, you know, thematic and like 
that I, I, I get the feeling, I don't know if this is true, but that that's in, in vi or it represents a lot of his cultural like perspective mm-hmm. and worldview potentially. And Nope, I would say, so I, I'd say get out Nope and us. Mm-hmm. What about you? I would say Nope, get out us. Uh, but what I will also say is like this for me was uh, after us, I was on the fence about Peel I, because I because I rewatched Get Out. And again, maybe it's one of those things where it's like you go to see it. It's a Jordan Peel. So it's like I hate Key and Peel. I don't know what I was expecting going in Get Out. And then you're like blown away. And part of that is probably because you're not expecting anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then rewatching it years, a couple years later with Julia, I was like, okay, this is, there's some things about this that I don't love. Um, and then us, I just did not like. And so going into Nope, I was not expecting much. So maybe I'm suffering from the same thing going into Get Out the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to see what he does next because of this. Um, but yeah, I liked it a lot. I loved yeah, it. I haven't liked what he's produced I really didn't like the Ooh. Candyman um, oh. remake. That was super disappointing uh-huh. for me. And, you know, the Twilight Zone. Oh, uh, the TV he, show, right? Yeah, that he kind yeah. of hosted. And, yeah, didn't didn't find a lot there. So mm-hmm. there, there's other things that I watch where he's involved, and I'm like, yeah, it's not doing it for me. But, nope, I thought it was really fun. And, um. Yeah, so the end. All right. Really quick, one final thing uh, to touch on. What we do in the shadows. Okay. Have I convinced you to give that show a shot? No, I mean, that's based off the movie, right? Mm -hmm. Did you watch the movie? No. It just doesn't seem like my thing. Uh, The movie has the British guy. Jermaine Clement. Clement, yeah. Well, he's, he's Flight he's of the New- Concords, right? Yeah, he's from New Zealand. Oh, okay. Same thing with Taika Waititi. And are is he in the TV show? So they the the movie three, the three there in the movie just appeared in the last episode that I watched. But they they're not the the main characters by any means. Mm-hmm. But the TV show is executive produced by Tom Sharpling. He wrote some of the episodes you mentioned i think sean clement mm-hmm. from uh hollywood handbook may have also written some and it's just one of those like i like the movie you know definitely the, the movie has some you know tough spots in it it's not perfect but the show i'm just really enjoying mm-hmm. it's just it's just really fun and okay. Tom Sharpling's approach, you can see it in some of the episodes. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's good. Okay. So yeah, what we do in the shadows, which is airing now, fourth season is on now. Uh, I've been really enjoying that. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye.